Um, anyways, so let the great 2014 um, top five movies of the year begin. Um, I'm not sure who would like to start. I'm happy to. If Keith, you you moderate and you you go ahead and start. All right. Um, I I'm gonna start actually. Um, my top five film of the year, number five, was Guardians of the Galaxy. Okay. Um, this movie totally did it for me, guys. It like it totally. It was so much fun. Like what a, what a great experience. Um, I've been waiting for a film like this to come out. Um, and it was like a totally unexpected surprise. Um, I was so tired of like these dark superhero films. And then, you know, you've got this like sort of roguish swashbuckling fun film, Han Solo from another universe. Um, I was just so, so down on all these fucking bleak superhero films. And, you know, this one came out, it was a great ensemble, um, you know, there were some drawbacks. The film's villain had terribly huge flaws, um, but it just had this great misfit vibe to it. Um, and, you know, you knew it was going to happen, but it just did everything so well. It was just a joy to be a part of and sort of get sucked up on the way there. Um, and I hope it really impacts the superhero genre and i think it really has and i hope it continues to uh i i i'm definitely gonna uh, jump in there but i just want to say like in terms of how we're we're doing this uh, is it does it go then i go my five then steve talks about his fifth favorite yes. and, then, and then we keep exactly. going around yeah. and if if we i think if any of us choose one that is on another person's list that person then says where that sure. is on their list, and sure. so we don't have to yeah. talk about sure. it again. Okay, cool. Uh, <clears throat> is it uh, is it true that uh, the Guardians characters are going to show up in the next Avengers movie? That's what I, I think heard. so. I don't I think, think they so, are, yes. actually. Oh, really? And are you talking about Ultron or in the, the third Avengers film? Well, the, sec- the second Avengers. No, they're not appearing in the... As far uh, as I know. Well, definitely the third one, though. Okay. I know they're definitely bringing them together at some point here. Maybe I not know that second. Joss Whedon like talked talked with the guy who made uh, Off topic. Guardians of the Galaxy. Bring it back, Dan. Bring it back. Okay. Uh, okay. So Steve, Keith's kind of given his reason. Um, I I liked it. How, can I ask you, Keith? How many times have you seen it? Uh, twice. I okay. saw it in theaters once and on a plane once. Okay. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I definitely, I've seen it twice now. I definitely enjoyed it more the first time. And so what you said, Keith, about it being like a really pleasant surprise, that's definitely, that was definitely my experience. I mean, I, I thought I'd enjoy it based on the trailer, but it, it really like surprised me how fun it was. And I think that, element being missing from my second viewing and here we're talking again about the the impact of the initial viewing i think that element being missing from my second viewing damaged it a little um, mm, i can see that but but that initial viewing was just so much fun uh, mm-hmm. yeah it was just like yeah it was like um a joy a, it was like a type of joy for superhero films that uh, you know we were just sorely missing 
and I'm so glad that it, it, you know they found it and put it out there for all of us to see. Um, and I hope that we see more of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm, I'm going to chime in though. I find it like really striking that you included Guardians of the Galaxy in your top five because I feel like it, it it's not even close to. So like the, it doesn't. <laughs> oh, this is gonna be good, guys. This is gonna <laughs> um, be good. Like, just like just just the very start of the film, I think, starts on a really. I understand. Uh, like, I agree. The, the tone that was trying to be set in the first part, like he, you know, he has this checkered past. He loses his mother, and then he's launched into space. But it's, so, like yeah. a, after the Marvel movie opening, and then that, I was like, ugh, like immediately got off on the wrong note. And then the movie also suffers from, like, Marvel villain syndrome. Like, did anyone give a shit about Lee Pace? No, no, the villain was awful, really awful. And and then you have this, like, destruction porn ending where it's like, oh, no, like, the entire city is going to be fucked up by by these spacefarers. I mean, I... The ending actually worked for me. Uh, I didn't like the ending at all. Um, Yeah, it worked for me, too. I do like, like, the happy sort of fun tone that the movie struck like can can someone write an essay like i know i know mission accomplished was in 2003 but did 9 11 end <laughs> when guardians of the galaxy came out <laughs> like do, do are, are we finally comfortable enough with just going to the movies to have fun again and did guardians <laughs> and did guardians show us that um steve i want you to write a review and that to be in it because that, that was a good line <laughs> thank, thank you uh, but like, there, there are a lot of good moments in Guardians. It was fun. It just doesn't strike me as being worthy of being on a top five list, though. Fun is a popcorn really? blockbuster film, but really doesn't enter my top five. All right, Keith, you've got uh, two minutes for uh, rebuttal. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Steve brings up some excellent points, which is why it is um, merely one of my top five, my fifth top five film um i just it's you know it's sort of a throwback to star wars in some ways it's like i said it's han solo in another universe it's i just love the the roguish misfit vibe of the whole thing and seeing like these idiots sort of stumble (laughs) and fall and you know fuck up and sort of figure it out in their own unique way um yeah i was so happy to see something a little different um on screen but yeah again like i thought the villain was atrocious um so and there was like a a bunch of things that i thought were really underwhelming like the the uh thanos's daughter girl or whatever who was like a robot like that chick and gamora the green chick like they had a, a whole relationship that they kept hinting at which never played out really um, which would have been a great, really interesting thing to have gone into, but they and there didn't. There was so much exposition on, like especially Gamora. She just seemed to be yeah. an exposition machine. But there were some great characters. Like I liked that really literal guy, and I like Groot. And I, I mean, these are I think these are going to be some characters that last us a little while. Even though the whole Marvel cinematic universe feels a little, I don't know. Intangible and and like like it's going to dissolve very easily. I'm losing a word here, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. it doesn't seem like it really is going to last in my brain. But I like these characters. I think Steve, that you're looking at a lot of the elements as like individual elements, 
And I think that what kind of the magic of the movie is how the elements come together and the chemistry between the actors and the, uh, you know, how they fit into this universe and, and everything. That's, that's really where the, the fun and the magic is like the, the camaraderie and the, the, uh, <coughs> the interactions between the, the, uh, the protagonists, like it's, it's just so much fun to watch them bounce off each other and, mm. uh, and, uh, you know, needle each other and uh get at each other and that's that's really the the most enjoyable part of the movie and that's what makes it work i think and to an extent i, I think i think the both of you just felt like the the needling and the interaction between them was was more real than i did it i mean just, i don't think it was like, like actually real counter- i i know that obvious i mean like real no, 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 no 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 i mean i i know i agree that like it it never felt like there was a lot of weight behind any of it. Like, you always knew they were going to come together in the end. Like, I agree. But it, it's, it, you know, you sort of just accepted it within its, like, little, you know, constructed world. And it was just so much fun. Like Dan was saying, you just sort of had to let it sweep you away. And sure, it I sounds mean, like you did get swept away. Right. And you're, you're sort of uh, talking about, like, the level of buy-in that you have to have. With right. To, to really go along with it. I think for you, you guys bought in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For me, I didn't buy in as much. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, that, I think that's absolutely the death knell. <laughs> like, there's nothing you can do after, if you don't buy in, it's just, it's over. Yeah. Still good, though. Still a good watch. Yeah. I don't think cool. any of us hated it, or. No. I don't think you hated it as. I, I debated very strongly about the placement of this film, I will say. I almost removed it um, n- numerous times. So, But anyways, that's my number five. If uh, Dan, you would like to go next. Okay. Um, my number five, uh, I, I had a hard time choosing number five. Like I, I knew when I made this list what was going to be one, two, three, and four. Number five, wasn't quite sure about. But I, I ended up including a movie I saw yesterday. The Grand Budapest Hotel. I know I'm <laughs> triggering you. Oh, good, Steve. good thing. Good thing that you uh, saw it, Dan. It would have been disappointing if you hadn't actually. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're, I, you're triggering me as well. Unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Well. Oh. Well. That's cool that we got a movie that that we all have. On I think we're all gonna trigger each other here in a minute. Anyways. <laughs> um. What? So what? What placement do you have it in? Me too. Okay. Um, the, okay, well, I, uh, the, the reason that I liked it so much, and we, we've talked a little bit about this and how it's a movie that you, even if you don't like Wes Anderson's style, um, you can get behind it and it's, it's one of his better movies. That's for sure. Um, I think that the reason it worked so well for me, um, I guess it's because his style didn't take over the movie and kind of eclipse the other elements in it. Uh, you had some uh, a really interesting, uh, I guess, plot uh, that had a really interesting backdrop and really interesting elements that kind of all fed into each other. Uh, it was a really well-constructed um, plot, for sure. Uh, the characters were 
fantastic, but they didn't just have, they weren't just a summation of their quirks. Like they were, uh, they had motivation and they had, uh, you know, emotions and feelings for each other. Uh, so I think that it was maybe his ability to subdue, uh, his, (coughs) um, his style, uh, enough that caused it to work for me. And, uh, I really enjoyed it. Like it was, it was a really fun experience, uh, watching it. Uh, there, there were a lot of elements that like visual elements that worked really well. Um, but again, none of them, uh, I guess, uh, <clears throat> drew too much attention to them. Can I just uh, comment on that? Because I, I totally agree about how Wes Anderson's, normally his style is so distracting and so on and so forth. But I, I agree, like in this case, I actually felt like the way the film operated like that, it it's not that it didn't, that it distracted. I think that it fit it. It was yeah. very suitable it to it. It wasn't subdued at all. It just felt like a perfect marriage because of, of his style and yeah. the story that he was trying to tell. Because because it was you know it's sort of set in a in like this 1930s time or whatever you know and that's sort of back when there was like Abbott and Costello and like the Marx Brothers and like it was a little slapsticky and zippy and quippy and you know all these things and it mm-hmm. fit the time very well. Um, and it all sort of okay. worked um, a little, a little bit magically. But, anyways, go on. I mean that 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 could be a, a better reading than mine because what I'm what I'm talking about is that when I when I see one of his older films, like the Royal Tenenbaums, all I walk away with is uh, like his his visual style. Uh, there's not much meat mm-hmm. there, uh, and and there was some meat here. Um, and so you're right. Maybe it's not so much that he subdued his style, but that he was able to bring up the other elements uh, to the level that they need to be at to to make the movie work. Um, a, a quick comment on on his style, which you know, there, there, there's so much to it uh, from the uh, uh, particular lighting, the colors, the, the symmetry, the the angles of the of the camera, like they, it's all very. Uh, can't think of a better word than than hyper stylized, but but that's what I'll go with. Mm-hmm. Um, he, like his, his worlds that he constructs, they they seem to have a very. They seem to be sort of mechanical. Uh, they operate by a certain set of rules. His characters operate by a certain set of rules, and that was as true in this movie as it as it has been in any of his other movies. And I was thinking about why that is. Uh, and I think that if I if I was to offer some sort of a psychoanalysis of, of Wes Anderson, like he's somebody who uh, who might have trouble looking at the world, uh, a world that maybe he sees as, as very messy and doesn't make a lot of sense, and so he imposes order on it in his movies, uh, and that's kind of his way of being able to understand life. And so when you watch his movies, you get like how he views the world, essentially. Uh, yeah, that's that's what I have. It's an interesting armchair psychoanalysis <laughs> of Wes Anderson. 
Alright, Dan's it's done. My turn. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so I listed that this Grand Budapest is tied in first place with another movie on my list. I think what I liked most about Grand Budapest uh, just had to do with the themes in it. Not that the themes in his other films didn't connect with me, but I think just like the marriage of his style and the story and the setting for this film uh, was sort of like a... Just, just like a perfect storm. So I really like the fact that yeah, it, it has a, this sort of like slapsticky vibe to it. I think it's set between the world wars. Is that right? Is it? It's not set before World War One. It's set between one and World War Two. Yeah, it's set yeah. after. Yeah. Okay, I mean, it yeah. takes place in a fictional land right. in the Elves. But it, it does, I, but I, it's yeah. sort of. Um, yeah, so it's up between World War One and World War Two, and what I found interesting was that it seemed like all these characters were trying to reach for a time that they really idolized, but it had already just passed, or was just about mm-hmm. to pass. So you had mm-hmm. all of them trying to reach this place that they could never really get to, and behind all of the the comedy of it, you have this you have this specter of world war and you know about like that thing that they're yeah, trying to reach for now is about to crumble anyway so there's this sort yeah. of like sanguine melancholic aspect to the movie that re- like, i just really connected with it felt like this movie more than his others just yeah had, just had more to say not about just the world that he wanted to create but about the world in general yeah mm-hmm. totally uh, yeah the melancholy I- was great i loved that there totally was there in every scene. It was amazing. And I think I, I can, you know, tie that into my my psychoanalysis. Like, if Wes Anderson is indeed the kind of person who is confronted with a messy, messed up world, and he tries to uh, create some, some order and create some rules uh, for people to live by within that, that chaos, then this movie is sort of a, a, like a direct reflection of what he does uh, deals with people who uh, who the, the world and the, and the rules and the structure of things are collapsing around them uh, and yet they're able to you know create some some order out of the chaos I don't, I don't know that I am I buy the idea that he sees a messy world and he's trying to impose structure on it I just think that yeah you know, he, he has a certain style that he imposes on his films because he enjoys it. I was but to you a, don't think that he might enjoy it because it, it is so structured and so ordered? Like, I, I think I think the kind of enjoyment that that you get from watching one of his movies is sort of like the kind of enjoyment that you get from, I don't know, playing a, a video game or, or watching a... a like not this is not me, but uh, watching anime like those people and things like obey a certain set of rules. And yeah, I, I agree with in a certain order. I agree with Dan that that it, well, it, 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 there's a safety to it. It's like <clears throat> playing within a certain sandbox of of emotions and actions and things like that. And you know nothing else can creep in. But that's the wonderful thing about this film is actually the horrible outside world does creep in a little bit into their little mm-hmm. cutesy world. Yeah. And that's what's so great about it. Mm-hmm. At least, I, that's what I, part of what I love. Like, the, the 
crazy, horrible like war that was happening is creeping into their their little like as I I, I wrote down I wrote down some stuff about it. I wrote that as sort of like puppet theater, like these little people running around in their cute little world, and then this terrible war and barba- like barbaric, tyrannical you know fascist war is coming. And and yeah, like Dan is saying, uh, it's invading their little cute little world where everybody must behave in silly ways and you know ski down mountains on their little cute skis. And yeah, it's 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 just a little bit safer when you play with within his his little imagination. Okay. Okay. I mean, I don't I don't know that Dan's <clears throat> reading about you know imposing the rules. Uh, quite is true. I don't know. I mean, that's you know armchair psychoanalysis. We don't really know Wes Anderson, um, but I definitely agree there is a, an element of safety to to that because you know you think about um, what's what is that other film that he did recently? Uh, Moonrise the, Kingdom. Yeah, Moonrise Kingdom. Like everybody is like sort of plucky in that film, and you know mm-hmm. it's just. He deals with these dark things in a lot of his films, like Suicide and uh, Royal Tenenbaums. But since they're within this cutesy world, it's just a little bit safer. And I think that's sort of how he, he plays with those themes. You get to, like, poke it, but, you know, you can fall back on the fun framing and the weird colors and the silly mustaches. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, but, but you're right that this movie is is different because that those elements do creep in and it's and it's uh, it becomes a little darker and more distressing. Uh, but it really no, was. It, it still doesn't shed that that comforting layer of, of rules. It's is more like an interplay of, of those two different worlds or those two different mm-hmm. uh, <coughs> modes of behavior. Yeah. Yeah, it's sort of like. This. Um, this brings up um, that conversation. Just reminded me of South Park and how, how South Park able is able to get away with what it gets away with by virtue mm-hmm. of the fact that it's just a cartoon show. Looks about horrible. Kids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like a cartoon show about kids that no one really bat an eyelash. Like no one. Occasionally, there is outrage, but you can watch like George Lucas. Basically, like fuck someone over a pinball machine, and for some reason it just makes sense in <laughs> South Park. Sort of in the same way that Wes Anderson is able to put these issues, like these dark issues of uh, of suicide and like idolizing times gone by, but you can sort of get well, and like decapitation. There's decapitation in the film. There's murder in the film. Like someone's fingers just get chopped off, and yet somehow he's able to redirect that with uh, with his visual style. Yeah. Um, I guess the the only thing I would like to add to our discussion of the Grand Budapest Hotel is that I had just a ton of fun watching it. Like I was smiling oh, yeah. throughout the entire film. Like it was such a joy to watch. Um, and I, you know, was so, I was just like picked up when I left the theater. It was just so, so great. Um, and I, I, I spent a little bit of time 
uh, writing down thoughts on the Grand Budapest Hotel. So I pulled a quote from the movie. Um, M. Gustave uh, is described by, as, as a glimmer of civilization in the barbaric slaughterhouse we know as humanity, which I think is a great description for the film as well. Um, it's sort of like this world of whimsy, um, which sort of keeps like the horrible <laughs> fascist uh, world at bay. Um, outside, so I just thought it was like this great sort of like distraction um, from life, much like how Gustav is a distraction from, you know, Hitler. Right. <laughs> so I thought it was a great film. Great, great friends did a really good job, and I don't think you you look at Wes Anderson movies and and think well, like the acting is really what stands out, but but he really like did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was such a strange role as well. <laughs> you know, like I feel like a lot of films you can watch someone else's performance and get some ideas for your performance, but yeah, that was a pretty unique character. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think that brings us to Steve, your number five. Phil, are we on five still or four? What are we <laughs> no, doing here? We might have to. We might have to like. Uh, I know, move this along a little. Well, we're going to have some repeats, I think. But... Yeah. All right, so number... Well, maybe not Steve. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> Christ. Anyway, all right, number five for me was uh, Ida, which is... Have you guys... Did you guys actually see it? I have not. This is all you guys. So just, maybe uh... we should try and keep this as spoiler-free as possible. Yeah, uh... Basically, uh, a nice little Polish film, I think set... Dan, it was around like nineteen, like late nineteen fifties, nineteen sixty thereabouts. Yeah, yeah, like it was post World War Two when the communists had taken over Poland, and uh, they were, but they were still dealing with the the impact of having been occupied by Nazi Germany. Right. So they're dealing with like there. There's all this stuff of uh, you know like Polish Christians and Polish Jews, and basically like the their red Soviet courts in Poland. Because they're trying to transform it. Basically, it's a story of what this young nun who finds out that she is Jewish and that her family had been killed, and that she has, uh, I think, I believe it's an aunt that is this sort of red Soviet judge. And like, I mean, without okay, so that's basically the plot of the film. But I don't know. Like, it, it was really idiosyncratic. It's a really quiet film. Dan, I think you need to take it from here. I have a hard time describing this movie. Okay. Um, well, I, I liked it. I definitely is liked this, it. Where I is was, this on your list, Dan? No, it is not. Uh, oh. I was considering putting it on my list, but I ended up not. Um, yeah, I put it the That came out in, like, 2007, but whatever. That's uh, a modern classic. I, I did. I did include it anyway, because... Fuck you guys, we're talking about it. Uh, no, okay. Ida, um, I, I mean, it, it focuses very closely on the, the titular character. Um, it And if it focuses on other characters, it's just because she's interacting with, it, with them. So it's very much like a point of view movie, I think. Uh, and it explores her coming out of a monastery before she's going to take her vows as a nun. And, you know, lead the, the life that accompanies that. Uh, and she gets a little glimpse of the outside world before. And it looks like she hasn't left at all before then. 
Um, so it's really about her like reali- coming to realizations about people and about uh, as, well the nature of people and the nature of uh, war and death and all that. Uh, and then she has to make her decision of if is she going to take her vows. So there, that's really, I guess, the the, uh, the underlying tension, like the, these vows that that she's <coughs> you know planning on taking and whether or not she's going to take them. And that that really works because you're constantly like thinking along with her, like is this the best thing for her? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and like I say, well, we'll keep this spoiler free, but like what, what ends up happening at the end, I thought it really worked. I was, <laughs> I was actually kind of afraid that it would go the other direction. Uh, uh, Steve, did you have the same reaction? <laughs> I didn't feel like it would unravel. I felt as I was watching it, that it was really controlled and knew exactly what it was doing. I, mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting because c- like, like you mentioned, she, I think a big crux of the film is like her satisfaction with her inner spiritual life in the convent versus what she's encountering out in like the world of things in the material world set against this really interesting Polish backdrop that we don't know that much about. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just found it really compelling. Yeah. It it struck a chord for me personally. Um, I was able to kind of empathize with her because like being someone who was homeschooled and then had to go to like uh, a high school with other people like that was a big, like my kind of going out into the world and seeing how people act and stuff and being like repressed in a lot of ways. Uh, so I thought that uh, she, her struggles and how she dealt with the things that she saw outside were very realistic, just based on my own uh experience in my own history uh so the actress did a really good job she really sold what she was supposed to sell and it's kind of a difficult thing to sell she she had like a broad range of experience out in the world too like she she she's listening to jazz she's smoking cigarettes like she has sex with someone and then at that point you think like wow like it really looks like she, she might just choose to to live out in the world but i, mm-hmm. I really like I oh one I think one of the the best Keith I'm gonna give away part of the plot here but fuck it's fine it it's now. fine we've kind of given away a lot of yeah, it already. Away it's fine I like that moment where ahead. she she just has sex with like the, this this jazz piano player like I forget what instrument but this jazz guy and like he's he's talking saxophone was, saxophone okay and like they're they're both having this conversation saxophone. <laughs> They're having this conversation. I think one of them says, she says, like, what happens now? And he says, like, oh, well, like, we'll, we'll go to this town. And then, like, it sort of veers more towards the relationship. And he's like, well, like, obviously, like, we, we get married and we have kids. And I thought it was interesting that, like, you would you would think the life that she came from, like, the life in her convent would be mundane. Like, there's a lot of routine there. But I think the, the contrast of having, like, a very dynamic inner spiritual life with how mundane, the, like, the world of material can be. Like, just his statement that, like, oh, well, then we'll get married and then we'll have kids uh, sets up, like, this – sets up these extremes where it's, like, you can have a more dynamic inner spiritual life 
in this sort of mundane setting than you can in this like dynamic world of things where it's just here's the next step and then the next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think we should probably move on. I, I just want to say that I really liked her, uh, her aunt's character. Oh, yeah. uh, I like her as she sort of realizes that she's going to have to confront these things that she's obviously not confronted for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, like her disintegration after that was pretty gut wrenching. Uh, uh, yeah, it's very, very emotional. And uh, all right, yeah. number four. Everybody hit me. <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess I'm up. Um, <laughs> my number four of the year was Nightcrawler. Is this on anyone else's list? I, I'm afraid not. I, no. It was. It was one of the movies I was debating putting my number five. <laughs> okay, so Steve, you have not seen it. Okay, well, Dan and I actually saw it together, <laughs> um, but uh, I guess I'll just say, um, it, you know, it wasn't uh, a wholly original criticism of TV news and media, um, <laughs> but uh, it was a great, like, heightened version of, like, this bloodthirsty, like, fear-mongering local news um, stuff. Yeah, um, and it was great. It was it was great to watch. Um, it was like just dirty and like filthy, and like it made me disgusted. Uh, and it just like brought up all these big themes about you know how it's all just about like money and power and leverage. And it was just I was just like disgusted the whole time. It was great. Um, and in some ways, it's sort of like that local news like that thirst for all of that is is like the precursor to all this like going viral bullshit and like how many hits did it get it's it's like that like dirty desperate you know area of media where everyone's just like pulling out all the most disgusting stops to get people to watch their their stuff um which i loved um watching and i guess i just also want to give major props to um I guess the creation of the character of Lou Bloom, who um, at least to me was very uh, unique. Um, he was like this sort of weird autistic robot <laughs> uh, who like had downloaded self-help books and online personality quizzes and like business textbooks and like tried to translate the graphs <laughs> into like human interactions <laughs> and stuff. He was, Wait, he was a great me, character. Right? um yeah it was like this wow like (laughs) avoided the question there um he was like this uh weird you know reflection of like capitalism and you know male id and um all, all this like crazy stuff um there's like a lot of tense dread moments and stuff like that um so i really enjoyed it i definitely um would agree with you if you said that it was an imperfect film, um, but for what it did, I loved it. So, that is my feelings on Nightcrawler. I don't know if you want to say anything, Dan. Yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think I might have felt more uncomfortable than you did leaving the theater. <laughs> I got that sense. Uh, <laughs> like, it it goes to some really nasty places. It makes you yeah. feel dirty and makes you feel... Yeah 
uh, you know, complicit. Uh, yeah, in, totally. Me too. Know, it was disgusting. Yeah. Um, I loved it. <laughs> Keith, I just want to interject here and ask, did you have your hand down your pants that whole time? <laughs> I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, it's pretty good looking. <laughs> like, oh, I'm uh, so complicit. <laughs> Uh, no, good looking he is in that movie. He definitely looks like an like an insect in that movie. Like take me insect bug eyes. All. Uh, well, yeah, I I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> um, even though even though I was uncomfortable with it, um, it like the, there are some brilliant sequences, like the the sequence where he he goes into the the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. it's it's brilliant because it, on so many levels, like the the, the tension of you know, whether it's safe uh, yeah. from the the killers, whether like he's going to get caught by yeah. somebody else, like what he's going to do in there. Yeah. Uh, what's he going to do with this video, and like what's going to happen? Like it's yeah, there, there's so, so much. It's so <laughs> tense and it's disgusting. Because and it's he could easily turn into like something else, you know, like. I felt like the film could have gone in so many directions because he was such like a gross person. Yeah, and I think it's unusual to have a, a protagonist who you're unsure of or you're not quite sure yeah. what their motivations are and where they're trying to push things. And <coughs> so it's un- it's it's an unusual movie, uh, even though it, like you say, it deals with some things that have been brought up, some issues that have been brought up before in regards to the news and uh, the the 24-hour news cycle and yeah. viral. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of stuff. yeah, I have not felt like that dirty seeing a film in a very long time. Like since <laughs> Seven, like really, I have not felt the filth on me since <laughs> like a film like Seven. It was awful and great. So that's my number four, Dan. Um, if you want to go ahead. All right. Well, my number four. I, I hope it's. I hope it's on both of your lists. Uh, it's Noah. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Keith, I'm. I'm holding out hope. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> that, that I did not have you're time. You're laughing in in camaraderie. <laughs> I did Dan, not have time to see take, it. Dan. Take I'm your sorry. time with your argument on this one because I'm gonna. <laughs> viscerate you when you're <laughs> uh, I'm so sad I didn't uh, get a chance to watch this movie uh, well at least Steve has seen it and at least his uh, his counterpoints will be lively at least uh, so the the story itself which I know both of you guys are familiar with it's a really old story it's older than the bible as a matter of fact, it's one of the, the earliest stories that we have a written record of. Uh, it was first written down around 2000 BC in a Mesopotamian epic called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Um, and that served as inspiration for a lot of scripture. Um, and so when you take a story that is so old, one of the oldest stories in existence, and you make uh, a modern movie out of it, I think the question arises, like, what, what is its relevance in modern times? Because, I mean, what, what it concerns mostly is, is a flood. And uh, flooding was 
a, a huge worry for people in older civilizations. All these uh, early civilizations, they were built uh, on rivers. Uh, the Tigris and Euphrates for Mesopotamia, the Nile for Egypt, the Yellow River for China, and the Ganges for India. And these rivers would flood occasionally. And because the, the communities that lived along them were so small and so isolated and insulated, um, uh, they would the entire community would often get wiped out. So it was sort of it was sort of it might as well be the apocalypse because your entire world is has disappeared um so it's an apocalyptic it's an apocalyptic story and it it uh has the same sort of i think we have the same sort of fascination today uh with the apocalypse you know it used to be and sort of still is like nuclear destruction and then there's environmental uh catastrophe and, and we're kind of we we like watching movies about the apocalypse um, so there's that and it, and it kind of pushes that angle in that Noah in the movie, Noah and his, his family are trying to be like good stewards of the earth, uh, while all around them, people are destroying the earth and, uh, not engaging in sustainable practices. And, and so the world, so the, the land around them is getting barren and, uh, and stony and gray and not, uh, you're not working for agriculture anyway. Um, so there's that kind of angle that it is sort of relevant in that sense, but, uh, it also concerns questions like what, what is man's place in the world? What is man's place in creation? Uh, like, are we good? Are we evil? Um, are we a net positive or a net negative? And, uh, this question sort of is at the heart of the story. And I think it's it's a relevant question to to ask, uh, like, are what are we like? Do, do moral terms apply to us? Um, and if they do, then that doesn't necessarily look very good for us because you know we tend to be so destructive. And so Noah takes this idea that the man is evil to to an extreme, and he tries to kill his family because he believes that. Uh, all man should be uh, wiped from the face of the earth. And and uh, I guess it wouldn't... I don't know how much I should worry about spoilers, but... Go for it. Okay, so he, he decides not to. Uh, and uh, the reason he decides not to is just he has this uh, moment of, of love for his family, uh, specifically his daughter uh, and her child. Emma? Emma, Emma my girl. Watson, yes. I mean, I'd understand. <laughs> I mean, I understand. It, it, yeah, it was very relatable, uh, I'll say. And then afterwards, he, he lies on the be- beach drunk because he's completely lost his place. It, he used to have this moral uh, certainty that, that then he loses, and then his daughter Wait, comes and Sorry, comes. question. Is, did God tell him to kill his family? No. Uh, so he just directly. thought this up himself. He was like, my family is a burden on the earth. I'm well, it's not them. the most irrational thing because the world is being destroyed based on man's uh, Yeah, but not his family. It sound, sounds like the rest of the planet is a bunch well, of dicks, sees, but his family isn't. He sees 
certain, I mean, you have to have seen the movie, but you see certain aspects of his family that he starts to not like. And so he starts to think that, are we really that different okay. from everyone else? And then he has to wrestle with that question. Um, but, I mean, a movie that, that asks these kind of questions like, what is our place in the world? Are we evil? Is the world better off without us? Like, are we, should we exist? I mean, obviously we have a lot of answers that are based on, you know, self-servicing uh, uh, emotions and, uh, uh, you know, a survival instinct. Uh, but if we're to look at things from a different perspective, from a top-down perspective, then we might arrive at different answers. Uh, and and so a, a story that, that, you know, is 4,000 years old, I think, still holds up to modern-day uh, cinematic storytelling. All right, Steve, you're up. Okay. Uh, Dan, okay, I like what you said <laughs> about the movie, though I feel like pretty much everything you said you could just say about that fictional book they wrote about it. So I'm just, I'm just going to look at the movie, okay? All right. Uh, okay, so, like, first of all, like, Darren Aronofsky's vision being translated through, like, a big studio I don't think works at all. I think you should just continue making smaller independent-style movies. Um, dude, the entire movie felt confused. Like, it, it sort of felt like it was told in these three parts in three different genres, where, like, mm-hmm. the first part of the film is, like, this 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 superhero biblical origin story, and then, like, <laughs> and then the middle of the film is, like, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers meets Transformers, and then the last part of the film is just a confused, tacked-on psychological thriller. Like, so, so it's just really confused. I think there are big tonal shifts. And I think the big question coming out of the movie is, will we see Nick Nolte in a Transformers film? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, because, like, Keith, I'm just going to spoil the shit out of this for you. Go for it. Um, I mean, it's a pretty old story, so I think the statute of limitations <laughs> right, is, right, right. is <laughs> So, like, in the middle of the film, like, like I said, it's told in, like, these three different modes. Superhero origin, like, epic Middle-Earth battle fantasy, and then psychological thriller. Uh, really disjointed. Yeah, that mid one really concerns me. You like, really concerns me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you basically have, like, Nick Nolte as a fallen angel golem type thing, building the Ark, and then fighting Ray Winstone <laughs> and, and his camp of, like, vicious cannibal people. <laughs> and, like, did, did they like rape? I, I, I hope they like rape yeah, also. Yeah, like, like, they're, they're just, like, eating, like, animal carcasses and raping people. And Ray yeah. Stone is like, we will spread across the earth. And then Noah's like, I'm going to kill my family. And then... <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's an A-plus rebuttal. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And then, like, they get onto the Ark, and it's like Ray Winstone is, is hiding, manages to somehow get on the Ark. And then I think Noah's son, Ham, is all like, man, like, I'm with you, Ray Winstone. Like, yeah, fuck Pete, fuck the planet. And then Ray Winstone has a fight with Noah, 
and then Noah gets mad at his whole family. He's like, well, well like, so we have this bottleneck effect where, like, Noah and his family are the last family on Earth, basically. And he's just like, well, I guess I better kill my family because Earth... I don't have, like, that great of a rebuttal point-for-point point thematic. <laughs> so I think all, you did a pretty good All that I can point. tell you is that it's disjointed, it's confused, and it, it doesn't really know what it's... It doesn't know how to communicate what it wants to say, is what I think I, I want to say. I disagree with that last statement. I, I think that the it is saying some very specific stuff, and it deals with those themes throughout. I will agree that it is structurally and uh, uh, tonally disjointed. Um, but I think that what makes it what carries it despite that I'll, I'll say for me is that it has this underlying weirdness um, that is present through all three of, of those acts that you, you brought up, Steve. Like there's this, like it, it's very weird. No, Noah's character is so weird throughout the entire movie. Like at first, like he, he's, he has this, I don't know, assurity and this vision uh, for what the future is going to be and everything that everybody follows blindly and it's so uncomfortable, like, what his beliefs and stuff. And then when they start to veer into really weird territory, then that discomfort is, like, manifested and bubbles to the surface. And, uh, and uh, it, but, but all throughout the film, is kind of building this discomfort that you have with this whole idea of somebody who has a vision from God and... Uh, and acts on it so uh, with, with such single-mindedness, uh, and and then, like I say, that that's uh, that's very much brought to the the fore. We could probably uh, have a thir- good discussion on Noah and cult. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, 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 I think that the it, it's very much a Darren Aronofsky movie in that it deals with these weird psychological issues that people have uh and i think it resolves it really well in the end uh when he breaks when his surety breaks down and his daughter uh is able to comfort him by by saying well maybe you should look to look to yourself and your humanity rather than look to outside forces for guidance and for purpose and i think that that really works so I, I guess we shouldn't linger too long but if anyone wants to say anything otherwise we'll go to uh, Steve number four. <laughs> oh, you should my, you should see, you should see it Keith uh, I will see it at some point um, but I'm definitely skeptical <laughs> okay fair enough wait so are you on my number four now yes okay cool all right number four is Frank which neither of you Nope. <laughs> it's gonna be an interesting discussion. Oh man, like Okay, I love the movie. It's like this is the second time I'm gonna use idiosyncratic, so there you have it. Uh very mm. idiosyncratic film. Um <clears throat> really loved how playful it was. Uh sort of keep like how you mentioned with Guardians of the Galaxy. Like sometimes you just want mm-hmm. to sit down and watch happy things yeah. on a movie screen. Yeah. Um, really enjoyable for that. Really love the sort of 
slate of eccentric characters and what they were trying to accomplish. Basically, there's this band who's led by Frank, who wears this ridiculous uh, throwback to like a British musician called Frank Sidebottom, and like he's he's considered this musical genius, and we learn more about him through the film and. It's just them in this very, like, indie South by Southwest, which is actually referenced and you see a couple times in the movie. It has this very, like, indie, can-do, South by Southwest, let's be ourselves when making music sort of thing going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just really well acted by all parties in the film, uh, especially Michael Fassbender, who I really loved in that role. Um don't think there will be that much to talk about considering neither of you have seen it. Yeah, unfortunate. Sorry. Again, and you should. But, uh, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. A fun little movie. Yeah. Cool. I, yeah, I mean, it was on my list. I'm sorry. Uh, I just never got around to seeing it because it cost $5, which is stupid. I probably could have paid it, but yeah. Um, in, or- in an effort to have some back and forth. I'll say that the reason that I wasn't interested in seeing it is because it looks very much like a quirky indie movie. Um, how uh, accurate is that, Steve? It, it is, but I think there's a spectrum, of, a spectrum of quirky indie movies, and some of, their, some of them are great, and some of them are just quirky indie movies. So, there you have it. Okay. So, I mean, did it, did it have, like, you know themes and a takeaway for you or what was like your what made it so high on your list that's a good question i mean guardians is i don't think had any like lasting themes like other than like teamwork is good i guess i don't know um but it was just so much fun that i had to put it on there so i mean if that's the case for this then that's the case but i don't don't know know that i can pinpoint any major themes except maybe maybe what's coming to mind right now is like expectation and irrational exuberance and like group mentality. Those are the thing, things that are sort of, sort of coming to the fore right now. Because there's this guy who comes into the band quite late once everyone else has already had a long-lasting established relationship and he never quite fits in, but he's the driving force for their success in the movie. Like, mm-hmm. without, without him as this outside source, like, pushing and moving them in this direction of, uh, like, social media and South by Southwest they would not actually uh, like achieve any recognition. But that's not even necessarily what they want. In fact, that band functions best without the recognition. The band is more about the pure music. But he's somehow able to get like Frank into the idea that like people are interested in people. Um, and what was the other thing? And like the the sort of irrational exuberance that you have to have around like creating the music to make it the best mm-hmm. that it can be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm having a tough time explaining it, but those, those are the things that come to All right. Cool. Yeah. Um, I guess that moves us on to my number three. Uh, hold on, oh. i got to get a drink of water, so hold that. Okay. Man, Dan needs a break. Yeah, I'm going to get a cup of water also, I guess. I'll be right back. All right.
All right. I'm back. Steve. Dan? Steve? Yes. (laughs) I think we're all here. All right, so on to my number three, I guess. Yep. Is Birdman. Anyone else? I'm afraid not. I have not seen it. Oh, well, I guess... uh, Dan, is this? Were you? Did you like it? Or uh, yeah, what? it was one of the movies. Like what? You were you basically brought up a bunch of movies that I was debating putting in the the number five slot. Interesting. Interest, interested to see what else is on your list. Um, anyways, Birdman. Um, I'll try and keep this short. I guess um, there's just I have a hard time not putting it on my list um, because every there were so many solid. Um, and this would be going back to some of the objective, subjective stuff we were talking about. But, like, there was just so much solid stuff in this film, it's hard for me to not place it on this list. Um, the acting was, like, sublime. Um, the crazy, amazing long shots were unbelievable, um, really cool, uh, totally um, brought you into the world. Um, it was It was so meta and, like meta beyond meta and um i loved how seriously it took art and criticism of art and truth in art i loved that it celebrated theater um i loved michael keaton that he was like fucking insane and had delusions of grandeur um just all this stuff uh was was so wonderful to see um and and to see it be giving its due um, with like a lot of reverence and respect, um, um, but also not taking it too seriously. Like definitely, like giving it, you know, throwing it on its ear as well. Um, it was it was a great film um, and like some sort of weird fever dream um, at times. But it was a it was a great film. Um, also, I guess I'll just leave it there. Um, I don't know if you want to say something, Dan. Wait, have you seen this, Steve? I have not seen it, no. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I I really liked it. I thought it was one of the more technically accomplished movies uh, that came out this year. Uh, like you said, the, the, the camera work is fantastic. Um, the way the camera sort of bobs and weaves in and out of scenes and, you know, goes through doors and, you know, encounters totally different, uh, you know, scenarios and integrates itself. It, really cool. Really cool. And, uh, yeah, it's a really cool film. Yeah. It, the, I guess the, the pacing, uh, and how it's structured and just kind of moves from scene to scene and tone to tone and uh, action to action. It it never uh, feels forced, even though like it 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 could it have so easily so many different yeah it, it mashes together so many different um, uh, competing scenarios and. Uh, I, I, I find it really impressive that it worked, I guess, is, yeah. is what I would say. Oh, also, huge shout-out to the score, which I loved. I thought yeah. it was amazing. It fit the film in a way that 
I would never have said that it should have, but it totally did. Yeah, um, like ha- having such a percussion heavy score was very jarring, but yeah, it, like it was one of those elements that just somehow worked. Yeah. Um, I mean, I feel bad for Birdman um, because I, th- I think this is a very strong year. Um, and I think in another year it would have been higher on my list and probably higher on other people's list. But um, this is just a pretty good year. So mm-hmm. that is my number three, Birdman. Uh, Dan, if you'd like to take it away. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, my number three is Calvary. Uh, either of you guys. Nope. Oh, okay. Oh, what? Yeah. All right. Have at it. Well, I'll say my bit. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll mention the, the, the plot. It's basically a, uh, an Irish priest who is targeted for... Um, well, he... he He's told by someone in confession that he's going to be killed uh, for uh, the sins of some other priest, essentially, uh, who is uh, long dead. The, the killing is meant to make a, a statement about the Catholic Church and its corruption and its complicity in these uh, <coughs> molestation uh, uh, charges. Um the priest is played by Brendan Gleeson, and so the the film itself is about his uh, final week uh, on Earth, or at least what he believes to be his final week on Earth. Uh, he goes around, talks to a lot of people in his parish, uh, and a lot of them just completely reject what he has to say. Like he's essentially trying to leave them better than he found them. Uh, he's trying to make his final week on earth as meaningful and as worth it as possible. Most of them reject him, uh, completely. Uh, and that's really tough on him, uh, because again, he's trying to, you know, have some positive impact, uh, so that he doesn't feel like he wasted his life. Uh, that was, that was a very moving struggle I found. Um, and I found it very tragic that the people were so uh, so unwilling to listen to him. Uh, it, apparently, Ireland is one of the fastest uh, secularizing countries. Like the the rate of secularization is going on is faster than just about any other country. Obviously, it was starting from a very high percentage, but. Uh, that's something that, that Ireland is dealing with now, and a lot of people are, you know, rejecting religion and rejecting the place of the, you know, the priests and and uh, those prior leaders of the community. And so you you're kind of confronted with the question of what is the the place of uh, religious people in you know a secular world, and uh, and that's a really interesting question. Uh, <laughs> I think this is one of those Dan movies, probably. Uh, but it's uh, something. Noah that... sounds like a little more Dan to me, but. <laughs> well, uh, it's a question that that I think is is really interesting. I saw it. the The person I saw it with is like a very Catholic person, so uh, I think that 
I, I'm always kind of I always try and be aware of my surroundings or be aware of my environment when I when I watch a movie, and I think that kind of caused me to have a, li- a little more sympathy towards people, just the, the person that I was seen with. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it it is very moving, like it's a very emotional movie for me. Um, Brendan Gleeson gives this just heroic performance. Uh, he 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 plays this character. Uh, he plays this priest as someone like holding back. Like he he would he joined the priesthood very late, and it's clear that he led a very different life before he joined the priesthood. And so, as his frustrations bubble to the surface uh, in this week that the the, the film takes place over, um, you get a really strong sense of someone who uh, is really trying really hard not to be that person that he was before he joined the priesthood but it's being made really difficult by the, the people around him. And so Brendan Gleeson, you know, probably the, the best performance I've ever seen out of him. And, uh, and I really hope it gets nominated. Um, but this isn't a very, this wasn't a very widely seen movie. So this I don't is know a, a really, really tough year for a uh, leading actor, <laughs> like yeah. uh, unreal competition in that category this year mm-hmm. nevertheless i think that that brendan gleason is maybe the second strongest you know actor i've first being well that movie is coming up i don't want to spoil it oh uh, all right uh so yeah that's that's basically my my spiel it's a, it a very moving movie i guess is is what i kind of want to leave you with it's very emotional uh really uh emotional performance by Brendan Gleeson. Well, I'm sold on uh, some definite interest. Uh, that sounds like a really interesting um, time and reaction um, to, <laughs> to his plight. Um, that sounds really interesting. Uh, if it's uh, available, I'll check it out. Uh, Steve, did you have any thoughts uh, or opinions? Uh, I enjoyed it, but I wasn't in love with it quite as much as Dan was. I think there are a couple, like, I understand what the film's trying to do, and I don't want to give too much away. But, it's a, like, there's this priest in the film that feels like he's a priest for all of the right reasons. And, like, he, he's just, so much of the relationship, the relationships around him are poisoned by, like, the actions of actual bad priests. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Dan, did you mention the fact that like he gets a call, and did you did you mention basically like the main thing in the movie? I don't know if you mentioned that or not. The the guy tells him he has a week to live. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. So so there's that, yeah. and it, I kind of like already knew what the ending was going to be like from there, which might have soured it a little bit. But I didn't feel like the ride towards getting there was good enough to justify that ending and I'll, I'll just leave it at that i wasn't as enthusiastic about it but... okay um on to steve's number three then Ooh, my, okay. my number three was twenty thousand days on earth okay tell us a little bit about it that's the tommy lee jones no no, no, no. <laughs> oh that's the huntsman sorry or whatever the <laughs> 
heads, whatever the fuck that other movie is. Sorry, tell us more because I don't think I know anything about this film. Okay, cool. Twenty Thousand Days on Earth is a like a stylized documentary <coughs> film about uh, Nick Cave, a, right? About a singer songwriter named Nick Cave, and like over his career, he's worked with tons of people like Kylie Minogue and like you name it, basically. Okay. And it's the, the the film is stylized in such a way like it's it's really modeled after his own music, which is more like it, it's it's sort of like narrative music in the sense that he's telling a story through the music, and like some like he'll he'll elongate the songs like he'll have some songs that are like ten minutes or something like that, and it's sort of it's it's. It's like more lyrical and poetic. It's sort of hard to describe his uh, his genre of music, but the film is told in that way too, and it's told from his perspective about the way he feels about the music that he makes, and it's it's this intensely personal documentary about his views on just on just music, and like it's shot really fucking well and stylized in such a great way and like there's there's so much weight behind everything he's saying that you feel this like really intense connection with not necessarily with what he's doing but like why he does what he does um and yeah that's all i have to say about what what is it about him that is i guess so engaging Wait, have, okay, first, have you seen this, Keith? No. Okay. <laughs> Clearly not. <laughs> I didn't know what it was. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, have you, Dan? No. I thought okay. you were joking, though. <laughs> but, uh, uh, see, what, so, so what is it about Nick Cave, uh, that, that is so unique or engaging? Well, first of all, I want to say, like, I had no idea who this guy was before seeing the documentary. I just heard the documentary is good, so I know. Mm-hmm. But I think I think like the way he justifies, like his art, is what I find really compelling about it. How, how he, does he justify his art? Well, I mean, like he sort of he gives you like, like we learn about his past. We learn like why he does the sort of music that he does, and I think the question of like why, like he knows why he's doing it, and he knows what he wants to do and what he wants to accomplish with his music, and that's what I found compelling about it. Well, if you don't mind me pressing this line of question, what does he want to do with his music? Well, like I mentioned, I think it has to do with the style. He's sort of like, he, he makes this like long lyrical music that like really, I don't really know how to explain it in musical terms. But I think like he, he's like more poet than he, than he is, you know, singer-songwriter. Okay, so so he kind of is more interested in telling a story. I, I know you mentioned that earlier. Like he he wants to form know, a narrative. Okay, you and, know what? This, it just reminded me of. Okay, um, I don't know if you've seen like the Herzog clip where he's talking about documentary film and like using using documentary to tell not just the truth but the ecstatic truth. And the ecstatic truth is a stylized version of something that is meant to get you in sort of like emotional alignment with the thing that they're trying to tell you, like the emotional truth of something rather than the 
the objective, factual truth of something. And I think that's what mm-hmm. he's doing in the documentary and with this music. Hmm. Sounds like uh, quite an experience. Um, he, you sort of have to watch it you could say to that. feel it. I think you should, man. You should watch it right after this. I was interested in watching it. I knew that he was a composer because uh, he did the, the score for The Proposition, for The Road, for Lawless. Uh, uh, and when I went saw Lawless with some friends, one of them was like really into music, and he's like, oh, Nick Cave did the, the score. And I said, yeah, and, and he was telling me all these weird and interesting stuff about Nick Cave, so I kind of had the idea that he was a renaissance man or a, or just a really unique individual before uh, I realized this movie existed. And, and so I, uh, I was immediately interested when I when I heard about it. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I hope to check it out. Well, it sounds like he's he's very good at evoking uh, certain emotions and leading you on a, on a story, um, which is something I'm totally interested in. Um, I love, like, movie soundtracks and stuff like that. So I think those those are, like, very manipulative uh, with, with one's emotions. Um, so maybe he's uh, an interesting person to learn from. Cool. Um so that brings us back around to my number two, which was the Grand Budapest Hotel. Uh, so let's move back over to Daniel mm-hmm. for his number two. All right. My number two has the best performance uh, uh, that an actor gave this year. So that, that question is about to be answered. Uh, it's Mr. Turner. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, I, whew, I was really impressed by this film. Um, Can we know? Steve, all, have you seen it? Hmm? Steve, you haven't seen it, correct? What is it? Sorry, Mr. Turner. Oh, Mr. Turner, I didn't hear you say that. You have not seen it. I correct? haven't seen it. No. Okay, I've seen it, but you have. Okay. Um. Well, I guess I know it's not. <laughs> it's not on your list, but no. Well, I thought it was good. I thought it was quite good. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I. Oh man, I really like this movie on so many levels. Uh, I'll go through some of them, I guess. Um, one of them is its ability to recreate a time period. Uh, that's something that I uh, think the, is something that I value highly, and it's something that not a lot of movies do very well. Um, but this London um, is like alive and living and breathing and it uh, feels very real. It feels very different too, which I think is important. Uh, maybe um, you should quickly just uh, tell Steve what Mr. Turner's about if he doesn't know. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, I have so an idea of what, the, of what the story is. It's about a, a 19th century uh, British painter who lives in London. He paints his paintings uh, tend to be uh, paintings of ships, uh, oftentimes ships and storms. Um, and he, he's an impressionist, uh, one of the earliest impressionists, I believe, uh, to exist. And he does really cool stuff with colors and he has a really good eye for, uh, composition and he, he paints really well and people are really impressed by him. He's not one of those people who was discovered after he died. Uh, he's, he's someone who was very popular in his time. He's also very much a, a curmudgeon, uh, he, 
uh, doesn't like people very much, and he deals with them really gruffly, and uh, he's very acidic, and uh, and uh, he's not super likable. Um, the uh, so so yeah, that's that's basically what the movie is about. Uh, so like I say, I I really liked um, how well it, it recreated a place and time. Um, the I mean the, the the streets of London they have uh, vendors, you know, people working, uh, sick people, the dirt. Uh, they're just full of life and activity. Uh, and <laughs> as someone who's seen a fair number of really poorly done British period dramas, like in the Victorian area era, uh, they they're they they're so <laughs> the sets look so much like set pieces. They look so constructed. Um, as opposed to lived in, um, the dialogue in this film is so vibrant and alive, uh, and uh, it, 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 people talk so differently depending on their status, depending on their personality, and as opposed to so many of these uh, cookie cutter Victorian area uh, period pieces that uh, people talk in such. Uh, eloquent, uh, wooden, uh, stilted, uh, manner, uh, like the, 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 the dialogue and the, the writing is nothing like that in this movie. Uh, people are body and they, they, uh, laugh and they, uh, they, uh, the way they talk is affected by their, their emotions and the fear levels and stuff like that. Um, there, a lot of them are very unassured, whereas everyone is, is so assured in, uh, these poorly done Victorian dramas. Um, so that just how real it felt, um, I appreciated that so much, especially yeah, because I would definitely agree with you and, yeah. and with how there's like this symbol, they're like, there's, you're right. There are all these older British or not older, these British uh, recreations where they all do talk in the same way um, and just because they're speaking in a British accent, you know, they think that they're doing something special, but they're just, you know, yeah, they're just, it's silly. I totally know what you mean. Sorry, mm-hmm. I'm doing a terrible job of explaining. I totally agree with what you're saying. Um, and, yeah, the re- recreation was excellent. I agree. Yeah, and and I'm just, like I say, my me personally, I'm so appreciative of that in in a period piece because so often it's done so poorly. So that was, that was surprising and and hugely gratifying for me. Um, the, I mean, so much of this is, um, Mr. Turner's interactions with people and Mike Lee just, or Lee, I think it is right. Mike Lee. I'm not exactly sure. Um, Mike Lee, that's really what he makes movies about. He makes movies about, interactions between people and their relationships with each other and how they engage with with each other and uh and mr turner engages with people so strangely and uh uh horribly in a way um but it really like gets at the core of people it gets at the 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 meat of people or the quick of people i think I, i said before um like people are exposed to through their interactions with each other, uh, and it's really interesting to see these characters expose themselves. Uh, 
Mr. Turner is just someone who's able to bring out like a lot of good and a lot of bad in people. Uh, and man, Mike Lee just knows how to uh, knows how to uh, get at people. Um, I, I guess the the final thing I'll, I'll say about it is uh, death is very much uh, a prominent theme in the movie. There's a lot of people who die, uh, and it mm. it affects Mr. Turner in various ways. His father, who he has a really close relationship with, dies, and that seems to really hurt him because he's like the, the one person that he was able to, that the one person he really uh, was able to connect with. Um, and the, man, I'm not sure if I should... Like, how, how much do we care about spoilers here, Steve? This is a true life story. Um, yeah, I don't care about spoilers. That's uh, so, he dies at the end of the movie, and he dies in, I don't know, a very uh, uh, uncomfortable way. Uh, because I, I, I really think that if I was to analyze his work, it, it's kind of a way to... I think avoid dealing with this death that's all around him. Uh, it's kind of an escape for him. And I would say, I, I think that is, that's part of why he doesn't like dealing with people because they die. Uh, and really, where do you get that from? I, I totally did not get that. Uh, not that it's unfounded. I just never really got that. Just cause he, the, the, the kind of aversion he seems to have to the subject, like he doesn't, uh, you know, deal with his his uh, daughter's death at all, or he doesn't want to talk about it at all. He deals with his uh, father's death by uh, uh, painting and having sex with his, uh, I guess, housemistress. Uh, he seems to just be trying to think about it as little as possible. I mean, he never brings it up. He never talks about it. Uh, he, when, as he's, uh, dying as he's on his deathbed, um, he tries to go out and sketch uh, this woman who's dead, and that seems to be a, a way for him to avoid, you know, his own imminent death by very directly by sketching or by painting or by creating art. Uh, when the doctor tells him, gives him his diagnosis, he's like, "All right, give me another diagnosis." Like he, he very much doesn't want to think about or know this stuff. Uh, and and I think that his the the sort of veracity with which he he paints, uh, I, th- I think it, it it's something that uh, is very directly related to this death that's all around him. Mm. Uh, yeah. Do you want to say anything, Keith? Um, I totally agree with you, um, on everything you said. Um, uh, I, I really appreciated that, um, you know, it was a biopic, um, but it wasn't a traditional one where you sort of see, you know, this famous person and they have this adversity and they, but they're still brilliant and they overcome the adversity and then, you know, yay, uh, which is like a really boring formula. Um, this was sort of just 
you know, watching this guy go through his life and, um, he, you know, as you said, Dan, um, watching him interact with people and recreating this world and giving you this idea of who this person was and uh, how everyone interacted um, was great. Uh, I would just say that the reason it's probably not higher on my list is, as you said, it's a subjective list and ultimately uh, that's not really something I'm deeply interested in. Um, I thought it was still a very well done film um, and I would give huge uh, props to the cinematography yeah. uh, which was absolutely like beautiful really just absolutely beautiful yeah um, I mean there were some shots in there, there that I just I, I think I very audibly beautiful. exhaled when I when I saw yeah um, yeah um, I was yeah. There were uh, several scenes where I was really just overwhelmed with beauty. Um, so, yeah, it just wasn't higher on my list since it's not really the kind of subject matter I'm necessarily drawn to. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. Oh, and I thought he was uh, he did a great job. Yeah. Uh, anyways, which again is why I said yeah, there's some tough, tough uh, competition this year. Uh, for that award. Um, anyways, moving on to Steve's number two, um, and you do not have a number one since we already know it's the Grand Budapest Hotel. So you're number two, Steve. What I do consider this number two uh, tied for first place. Oh, okay. Uh, so only lovers left alive. Oh, I'm so sad I didn't get to see it. God, I wish you could go and watch it in the theater because. I have it on my computer. Dan, have you seen it? You haven't seen it. No, I haven't. Wow, dude, you guys, for real? <laughs> no right. one wanted to see it with me. It was very disappointing. Man, you go by yourself when that shit happens. Well, I didn't know it was uh, such a great film, Steve. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, basic, okay, yeah, tied in first place with Grand Budapest. Loved the, the concept of this. I know vampires are in vogue right now for whatever reason but I love the the angle that Jim Jarmusch uh, took with the vampire concept it's like what happens when you when you deal when you're dealing with the fact that you're going to live for eternity uh, and you basically can choose to take yourself out of the game at any point you wish like how, how does that affect you what do you do at that time and uh, at least in his vision you turn into these really, uh, you basically turn into like a really erudite, like overly educated, like you, you, they can speak on any academic subject you could possibly imagine. Everything that they've done, they've done to death. They know it all. They know like the, the cycles of history. Uh, so one of these vampires is just sort of like really blasé about life and he's making music in just this ramshackle apartment in Detroit while his his wife, his lover, is, uh, I think she's in Tangiers and she's still just infatuated with reading like Shakespeare and uh, like, like infatuated with reading Shakespeare and all of these other great works. Um, yeah, so I just really liked how it dealt with this this idea of time and what you what you do with it if you, if you had an infinite hmm. amount of time. 
that's really oh, like, interesting. The, the, uh, the soundtrack <laughs> for it, like amazing. There's like not a missed beat in that movie. Hmm. I, I've seen a, a, a couple other Jim Jarmusch movies. Uh, how similar is it to his other works? It, it's, it definitely feels very jarmish. Like, coffee and cigarettes, if you've seen that, it has, you know, it's you can tell that it's a Jim Jarmish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what else to say, because I don't want to ruin this movie for you. No, thank you. I, uh, I would definitely like to see it. So please, please do not. Um, I will not. But... Cool. Um, if you don't have anything else to say, Steve... Um... I can. We can move on to my number one film of the year. Oh. So and right. uh, I'm sure it's triggering my number one, so I think this is the last one we're going to talk about. All right. Well, uh, my number one film of the year was Boyhood. And that is my number one, too. Uh, okay. And guys, <laughs> can I just say, this worked out perfectly, so we can talk about Boyhood, and uh, Steve doesn't have a, another number one since... We talked about Grand Budapest. This worked out wait, uh, really great. So, um, <laughs> great, great, really great. Well, I Save mean, the best for structurally, last. I'm saying structurally, sure. this worked <laughs> out great. Um, anyways, Boyhood, um, without question, um, in my opinion, again, without question, this is the standout film of the year. Um, if you take away the fact that it's like this beautiful, soulful, emotional, like raw capturing of American childhood. It also is like a cinematic achievement and like a marvel of filmmaking. Um, uh, you know, it's, it is incredible. Um, this film like totally blew me away. Um, I, for me at least it is a uh, definitive proof, um, uh, that the most compelling drama uh, is that of real life. Um, and that is actually, um, I know that sounds like maybe trite or like maudlin or I don't know. Uh, but you know, like that was actually a sort of a, a meaningful realization for me. Um, you know, as much as I like superhero films or sci-fi or, um, and I think we can all agree fast and furious, uh, you know, as much as I love those films, this is, you know, this is life, um, and it's much more important than any of those things. And those things are only interesting because of the stuff that is being dealt with in boyhood. Um, so I thought this film was just like this pure, beautiful um, expression of uh, what life is, what life is, which is you know the passage of time, the unknowability of what is next. And and I think what's so great about the film is. Um, I think it sort of ends and shows you that, you know, that might not be the worst thing um, in life. And it's it's kind of beautiful that, that things change and move on and we all come out the other end. Um, so Boyhood was my number one film of the year for that reason. Um, Dan, if you want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, I mean... Uh... There's so many things I'd like to praise about this, and it was just such a fantastic experience watching it. Um, I was so swept up in it. Um, I guess I guess I'm gonna have to talk about some specific stuff, though. 
uh, one scene that, that really stood out for me was towards the end when uh, Patricia Ar- Arquette she, uh, yeah. she kind of breaks down when uh, when uh, what's the character's name? What's the main kid's name? I forget. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, Mason. Up. Mason Junior. Yeah, Mason. Um, <laughs> when Mason's leaving for college, she breaks down and she says, "You know, like you you." have kids you get married you get divorced like and she says like there's all these milestones and uh it all passes so quickly and obviously that's so you know apropos uh you know considering the 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 movie itself uh and it really hit struck a a chord for me realizing looking back on my own life like it it really is like a series of milestones like a series of vignettes that uh, all together sort of constructed make me who I am, uh, but it all goes so quickly. And that, it, I mean, it was, it was a very elegiac scene. Uh, it, was, it was mournful and uh, it, it kind of brought me to s- sort of a deeper realization of who I am. Uh, it made me really appreciative of how well the movie uh, is able to capture the experience of you know being alive uh, and uh, and how much it was able to connect with me like that that scene really yeah uh, struck something in me and uh, and so I mean <laughs> for that alone if 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 it had been that experience alone like that movie probably would have been number one on my list but I mean there were so many other scenes that worked so well and uh you know were able to bring out uh new facets of you know human character and uh i don't know it it was a really cool experience yeah i i mean it it felt like and you you said this uh, i think oddly is a good way to say it is it felt like being alive like it it i don't know like do you you know that moment do you ever have that moment when you are just like having a great night or whatever and and you just feel like you know your body is is i don't know on fire you just feel great you know there were so many moments where that was replicated for me in that film um and and you know even like the dark moments all all of the emotions that I felt I feel in real life about these things were perfectly like replicated in this film, and I felt all those all those things um, like it was my own life, um, or like I was some sort of like second friend that like doesn't have a line in the film. I don't know, um, but it was it it cut me so close to home. It was it was unbelievable. Yeah, I, I I imagine that that you were probably doing this too. But as as the movie was going along, I was you know recognizing all these moments that that I had lived through just in a different way. Like it mm-hmm. it yep. th- there were a lot of elements of his life that were different from mine, but there were so many that were similar. Um, it was just like <sighs> it, it was it was almost spooky, uh, <laughs> like being struck with these these moments that I I'd almost forgotten about. Yeah, me too. Uh, in my childhood, that were then being brought up again, uh, and I was remembering. Uh, 
yeah, that that was another really cool element. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how you felt after you finished watching it, but it left me um, with like a very hopeful um, outlook and made me like want to, I don't know, embrace life and made me happy about life, Yeah, um, which is something that I can't say about nearly any other film. <laughs> um, so for that reason, it is a, a singular um, film for me. Okay, I agree with a lot of what you guys said. I think I gave it an 8 out of 10. <laughs> I like how Steve is like, everything you guys said about all that emotional shit is true. Let me give you a number Let me give you to a place number. it. This is the number for it. Um, hmm. What do I want to say right now? Okay, yeah, so I have a lot of the same experiences watching the movie as you guys did. Where, you, where you're watching it and you're sort of like, wow, this is like... Typically, when you're watching a movie, you're watching some sort of extraordinary event in like some person's world and some person's universe, and from their perspective. In this movie, we're just kind of dealing with like the mundanity of the real, and sort of like, and we sort of realize, like Dan, you had mentioned vignettes, and like we have this hard time of realizing. Like when 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 is the vignette happening? Is the, does the vignette only happen when we look back and we try to like impose a narrative on our past? And it's sort of like dealing with like what are are these milestones? Was I even aware of the milestones as they were happening? So it has that sort of lifelike quality that you guys had mentioned. But I don't know that I would put it like I didn't put it on my top five. I don't I don't know that it deserves to be on a top five. I think it gets a lot of undue praise for you know they i don't want to call it a gimmick but they did this technique where they shot you know like a week for every year for like 12 years or something like that and that's new and that's novel and that's interesting and they executed it well and it works in the movie but i and keith you had mentioned rewatchability before i don't know if i'll ever watch the movie again that's funny because i rewatched. A, lo- a large portion of this film a couple nights ago just because I really, really wanted to. Wow, okay. Yeah, so like for me, like I probably will never see it again or it will be a very long time before I watch it again. I think it's kind of like a big experience to download as you watch it, but I don't... And like, the performance is really good. I thought the story was good. But I don't know. There's just for, for some reason, it doesn't... It, it's funny because I really liked it, but I just don't think it should be included on a top five list, or at least not on my top five list. I'll, I guess I have two things to say. And first is that, and I guess, Dan, um, you can break in here if you want, um, but I, t- I understand what you mean. I think like a lot of the film's novelty is that it is like sort of this weird nostalgia hit, right? Um, and that sort of wears off um, after, after first seeing it. Um, that said, I think the merits beyond that are totally there. Um, and I think that totally will make rewatching worth it. Um, and I guess Dan, if you want to say something here, uh, go ahead. I think that the, the gimmick, if, if you want to call it that, uh, it, I I don't think I, I would call it a gimmick just because, it doesn't really draw attention to itself. Like 
it's exactly what you've heard it is and nothing more like it it's not it's it's very much in service to the movie and to what the movie's trying to do um and it works so seamlessly that i but at the same time like it's not the focus of the movie or it's not it the movie doesn't depend on it uh that I almost sort of forgot about it uh, as I, as I was watching the movie, or I don't know, I don't know if I'd say I forgot about it, but I, I wasn't thinking yeah. about it. It's not uh, it's not showy about it. It doesn't lean on it, and like yeah. I, I think that's sort of a function of how it happened. It would have been difficult to have done that, but like it doesn't like leave you on a cliffhanger, and then like the next scene, he's grown up, and then you see like how that bad scene has impacted his life, and like. Now he's got a drug problem because of the thing that happened in the last thing. It's like it just sort of flows and life just happens. And it, it, it could have so easily have gone in like a terrible direction, but it doesn't. And as Dan says, it's just in service of the life continues on way of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm saying it was unimportant because I think that the it it's sort of crucial to to the movie but it it's very it very much doesn't call attention to itself and i just think that at the that's end how of i the think day, that it the movie is going to be remembered more for that technical aspect of the film rather than the film itself man i hope not i think i think you may end up being right but i think uh of all the films that any of us have talked about, this is the only one that anyone will talk about in 15 years. I disagree with that. Which one do you Which, think people will talk about in 15 years? Grand Budapest Hotel will endure. <laughs> maybe my, as my a... <laughs> maybe in the middle of a list, you know, or something, but no one's going to point to it as a exemplar of something. I don't think. Yeah, but like that—that's what I'm saying about Boyhood. Is that it's, it's going to be pointed to just because of that technical fact. But I mean, uh, I guess I will say first of all, like it will go down in film history, period. Whereas none of these films will. Um, but second, I think that it is worth talking about beyond that, and I, I guess time will only tell if that is true. But none of the rest of these films will go down in film history like Boyhood will. And I think you could argue that that is inherently valuable. Maybe so, but it, it just seems like so. It, I just feel like there's so much hype surrounding the film because of that one thing. That people get the sort of distorted view of it as a movie. Mm. But I don't think that that reflects on the movie. That just reflects on... What, how people get excited about things and what they like to talk about. And that's what I'm saying. I think that crowds out other well, possible choices to be included on the top five or just to, to be included in whatever your, your list is. <clears throat> I'm going to say that I disagree that... I mean, I, I'll say it totally does cloud my judgment in that like it, it did hype me. Like I wanted to see it because of that. Um, but upon seeing it, 
I think that it totally deserves all the praise that it gets, regardless of that. Like, my, one of my favorite parts of the film was <laughs> this kind of weird was the portrayal of the first dad that gets replaced, the alcoholic one. That was a great. I, I just that was great. I yeah. thought that was phenomenal. Um, he was so, so much measured. like the alcoholic yeah. asshole. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And to Man, see, I hated him so much. Yeah. like oh, yeah. Jesus. And to see like how Fucking he enters, asshole. how he turns, how he affects them, and how he's not—he's menacing, but like in this weird other way that like you never really see, um, but is so true to life. Like it just nails it repeatedly over and over again. Like these things that are just so authentic, um, and so, for all those reasons, like this film deserves so much praise for doing that. It's incredible what it's able to replicate. And that's the thing. It doesn't really feel like replication. It feels just true. And it's just real and it's there. And I, I guess I can't really separate it from the fact that, yeah, you know, it's lumped in with that that aging mechanism. But it just it just works so amazingly well with the fact that it, it hits that truth um, on the, on the, on the mark every time. So I think gotcha. it's, I think it's going to be worth it independently of its gimmick. Right. Right. Well, we're, we're done. We are. That was, I don't it. know. Well, let me first say guys, I think we fucking crushed it. I thought that was one of the best conversations we've ever had about film. And I'm pretty pretty sad that we didn't record it, because I really think that was excellent. I'm actually really happy that I've recorded the whole thing without actually telling you. So I'm really glad that I did that. I so hope you aren't joking. Oh, oh no. We're we're still live, Joe. Um, well, I, I do, with no false modesty, say that I thought that was a great film discussion, so congratulations to all of us. Um, I don't know if we very quickly want to do a worst film of the year. Uh, I feel like I need to decompress with something. I, 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 I need a little Starcraft, like, I need a little Battlecraft. Yeah, let, let's, let's save a, a little magic for, for next time. Uh, okay. That sounds good to me. Yeah, we could do this whenever. That's uh, totally unrelated to this, I would say. Anyways. I'm going to go ahead and stop...